Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Blockware Intelligence YouTube channel. Today we have two very special guests. We've got Travis as well as Dan from CMS. How are you guys doing? Doing well, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing great. Uh, let's first start with maybe for anyone who lives under a rock, uh, what do you guys do in the space? Um, I guess briefly just overview of your funds and, and what you guys kind of do there. Dan, you go first. Yeah, sure. Um, so CMS is a principal trading shop. Um, it's basically no different than you sort of see a like a fund sort of structure, um, except we obviously don't have any mandate and it's sort of all partner capital. So that gives us a little more flexibility in the market. Um, we run two primary things. We run a liquid active trading book, which is like primarily where I sit, which is perks derivatives like spot like all the stuff that's like price now and then we run a venture book which is obviously the non-price stuff which is like longer tail um it's a mix of tokens and equity um we've probably done 160 or so investments since we got started in 2019 and of that it's probably like 95 percent token so it's like very skewed on like the token side um and then that sort of flows into the risk of like the main book which is like the liquid sort of side and it's there's a lot of symbiosis like the two like overlap a lot but um yeah we're there's three of us it's me bobby cho formerly of cumberland drw which is the trading shop out of chicago and then a guy named julian sagan who ran um the infrastructure side of circle which is where i was before um on the trading desk so my my background's really in otc markets and sort of like providing liquidity for what was like high touch markets for a very long time and then obviously I've moved that into where i am now Travis. Uh, yeah, I'm Chief Investment Officer of Ikigai Asset Management. Uh, it's a crypto hedge fund we launched in December 2018. Uh, the real large majority of what we've done over the last few years has been systematic models-driven exposure to BTC, basically trading BTC with the purpose of outperforming, just holding BTC. Uh, that's most of what we've done over the last few years. We're kind of branching out more, I'd say, in real time to things away from just systematic BTC exposure, whether that's uh, systematic exposure in other names or more qualitative or, you know, sort of like longer time frame liquid venture type of crypto bets. Um, we have basically done zero uh, like venture equity investing. Um, and have really done basically to this point, zero, like early stage token investing, uh, you know, but I think there's there's a decent chance that that's going to change. Uh, the, the other thing I'll say is that uh, Dan, Dan is my closest crypto friend that I've never met in real life. I, I considered I consider Dan a, uh, a close friend and we have uh, spent a lot of time talking together uh, and I've never met him in real life, but. If you're going to FTX Bahamas, if I can get a yes from you on camera. I'm going. I'm going I already said, I, okay. my face is on some panel thing. I got to go now. Okay. All right. I'll be there then. I Yeah. It is barring some COVID shock. I'm there. Yeah. Awesome. So let's go ahead and kind of dive into the, the meat and potatoes, I guess. So first, if we can just like back up to last year, just get both of your guys' thoughts just overall on, on everything that... Uh, encompassing just all of last year and then as well just were you guys surprised with kind of the lack of institutional announcements around btc specifically but crypto overall and then as well were there any news bites or announcements that surprised you in a good way last year 
Um, I'll go first, I guess. So I was shocked that people were putting Bitcoin on the balance sheet at all. I think like that was like in itself shocking. Like I got it. Feels like it's been a lifetime in the last like 18 months, two years. So I don't know exactly when Sailor first like put that press piece out, but it was it was fairly early. Um, it was August that, 2020. 2020. All right. So God, maybe I'm like in a year and a half now. Anyway, so I'm gonna count that in my like look back here. I mean, like that seemed odd, right? Like you don't you don't see this happen a lot in any asset, right? Like it's very odd for corporate treasuries of companies to go buy any asset like they don't go buy gold they don't go buy like silver or like they, they can't buy securities for the reasons that say there's like push forward but it, it, they don't generally go into the market i'm not saying it's speculation but they generally don't go and just like do things that are very tangential sort of to the risk profile of the business currently so it's just like odd in general um and then when elon wound up like a yard of bitcoin like that was like very shocking um i was very skeptical that this would be a trend i still am skeptical that this is a trend mostly just because it's not really in, like, if you've ever talked to anybody that, like, is a CFO or, like, sits in, like, corporate finance for, like, a larger, like, a tech company or, like, really any other, like, they're very risk-averse people. Um, and, like, what they want is they want steady, predictable sort of, like, financial um, models that they can work with of, like, what their cash flows are going to be and, like, what their, like, expenses are going to be. And, like, crypto really makes that difficult. Like, even if you, like, buy the whole thesis and, like, yes, it, like, has generally, like, gone up and, like, made, like, participants wealthier and it was, like, better than holding cash, it, it's still, like, they can't be, like, hey, like, we're down 50% market market on, like, all of our, like, sort of, like, liquid sort of assets that we have. In so it's just, it's hard. And I don't, I don't think that's going to change a lot. Um, I'm, I'm very skeptical that this is going to be, like, a big sort of thing and you're going to see, like, more and more people coming. So I, I, I'm shocked by the amount of it that we've seen thus far, let alone, I guess not shocked that you haven't seen like follow on from any like corporates yet. You, the way you phrase that in institutional announcements. So like the first thing that popped in my head, I write this monthly update letter and I'm not sitting here shilling the monthly update letter. I could care less whether or not you read it or not. But part of what I do for that is I do these bullet pointed monthly highlights, which are like the, it used when I first started doing it three and a half years ago, the list would be like eight bullet points. And now the list is like, you know, 60 bullet points and there's like half a dozen fundraises over a hundred million dollars a month right now. Like it's like the pace of this stuff. But, but the point I was trying to make was writing that monthly update letter, compiling those, those highlights for a long period of time. It's, it's nice to go back and look at those and actually see everything that happened in 2021 and the over there were a couple highlights in my opinion i think uh, a billion and a half dollars on tesla's balance sheet was the biggest thing that ever happened to bitcoin and there's probably some like og guys that would like really hate me for saying that probably but like it just you know it's like i just think everything changed forever about bitcoin how the world approaches bitcoin like before that and after that but then after that happens to have him do the reversal and have that come right along with China, which the China ban deal, which in my mind, those two things are kind of like inextricably linked. Uh, I mean, that was, think about the kind of odds that you would lay uh, if Elon buys a billion and a half dollars uh, worth, of, worth of Bitcoin on the balance sheet in February. And, and somebody says, make me odds that in May of this year, Elon's going to gonna flip around and start shitting all over Bitcoin publicly. Like just, uh, just a crazy kind of thing to have happen. And then the way that we were 
able to like, I don't know, magically, weirdly work through that and get back to an all-time high. Anyways, all of that to say, uh, I think the overarching theme beyond those couple big highlights, uh, El Salvador, I I would say is super important, less important than in my mind than Tesla. I know some people that probably hate me for saying that. Uh, Bitcoin ETF, like, I mean, it got, it basically got us a new all-time high. It got people to probably think differently about the long-term price cycle of Bitcoin to have it top out, pull back 52% and then expand to a new all-time high, like in a, in a six month period of time, which is probably real healthy for Bitcoin longer term. But the number one thing for me is just the sheer raw amount of capital that flowed into the space. Uh, and, and a lot of it came through through venture capital, but you you, you just look at the the breadth and depth of the raises um, and then how much VC dry powder is still really actively being raised and is still a lot of guys are, are sitting on, on, uh, on funds they've already just raised. And uh, there's an inevitability to how that plays out um, that sort of sets up, you know, I would say at least the next three to five years as like, uh, you can argue about like how how massively bullish it's going to be, but like on the low end, it's going to be like really good, you know, and on the high end, it's going to be this like, you know, on, you know, something like you've never seen before or could possibly imagine, I think, off of off of that size of the capital. So I always read your the notes that you put out and every time I would go back and look and I'd be like, wow, like all this stuff had happened over the last month and, you know, everything happens so fast in the space. It's really quick to, uh, it's really easy to forget how, how quick things are kind of evolving. I have a question kind of off, off what we just talked about. Like, do you guys think a lot of that final leg up from kind of March to April um, was just people anticipating more kind of corporate announcements after Tesla, especially, especially in like the derivatives market? Are you talking about the specific April, April 12th? No, I'm just saying like, you know, in March, April, the kind of, um, when we were like super frothy, price was kind of like losing momentum. Do you think a lot of that, which was a lot of being, you know, propped up by derivatives, do you think that was just people anticipating more uh, momentum of corporate announcements after Tesla in, in February? I think there's some yeah, of that, but I think like? also like if you, you can think about it like this, like Elon just injected a ton of cash into the system, right? Like in, and like that works itself into like the market in like very weird ways. So like, I think part of it is it like gives people who are holding their positions that are like doing well, like more, like more confidence and just like more like collateral to like wind up and do more. So there's some of that. And also like that money like flows through and people like move out the risk curve. So like that makes like all it's go like crazier, right? And then like that just like gets people even like more amped up. So like you inject a ton of money like that in, in like one shot. And it just makes everybody go wild. I, I think there was some thought that there'd be follow-on potentially from other people, but I don't even really think it mattered so much. Just like that, that fever, like the fervor that comes around from that and the, the amount of eyeballs that that gets on like the retail side of like, oh, like this is like happening. Like I got to get involved. Like that like sucks like new capital in too, right? So like Elon puts in a yard, but like there's probably another like, I don't know, call it billion dollars of like follow-on retail capital that like chases like sort of for it and like, I don't know, they move further out the risk curve and you get like crazier stuff. I mean, the derivative side was definitely jacked. Like, I mean, that was without a doubt, but it was also probably a function of like, everything was getting lifted for so long as he was just like constantly on the bid that like, 
everybody just kept the positions open and they just kept opening more. So like, I, I think that emboldened a lot of traders to just like keep pushing the like leverage up and up. So I don't know, it, it's definitely related, but I, I think less so it was all driven by like, oh, there's going to be more like corporate buyers. I don't, I don't really think there was a ton of thought that that was like a trend that was going to like suddenly start. Do you think that just like as the market gets more efficient, we'll never reach those levels of like funding and like quarterlies were at whatever, like 45% annualized or something crazy like that. Do you think we'll never see those levels again because the market's becoming more efficient, you have more capital coming in to kind of capture these ARBs or do you think that euphoria can drive us back to those levels on some of those things again? You can always get more euphoric, right? It's possible. It's just harder. <laughs> and uh, Dan, I think I'd probably, I'd probably agree with that. Like on one hand, I would say it's not going to stay that wide for that long because of the sort of like never ending stream of capital that's now comfortable with the type of counterparty risks they have to take to put that, that trade on. Right. Uh, just short, shorting the curve, but it, and, the, and, and so that kind of puts a damper on like the potential for Bitcoin to, to blow off. But then you start thinking about like some of the announcements that like there's at least some decent chance you have this decade, you know, like real major sovereign level or like whatever, you know, various Apple announcements. I, I don't know, whatever really big announcements that could happen for Bitcoin. You're like, you know, you could just get another you know, situation where there's just nobody in the mood to sell Bitcoin. And maybe that, maybe that year is 2026 and the price is 150,000. And then, you know, I, you know, United States buys $10 billion worth of Bitcoin and nobody's going to sell their Bitcoin. I, you know, you never know with this thing. Hey, Dan, I have a question for you. So you had mentioned that you were actually kind of surprised that, um, you know, corporate treasurers were slapping Bitcoin on their balance sheet. Who are the entities that you think will be the largest buyers of Bitcoin over the next, call it five, 10 years moving forward? I, 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 10 years is hard. I think in the, the immediate, it's still like funds that are like looking at alternative assets that have like a high risk appetite, venture sort of like groups and high net worth individuals. I think will continue. I think you're going to have like some one-offs of like, like this El Salvador thing, like might cause a couple other South American countries to get involved. But like, I think in general, it's still going to be like a high net worth individual and like sort of tech focused, but more nimble capital on like the fun side. Do you think arbitrage such as like, for example, obviously the GBTC trade was huge, cash and carry trade, you know, just like funding um, arbitrage. Like, do you think a lot of these things serve as kind of like a gateway for funds to kind of dip their toes in the space and then kind of funnel them into directional Bitcoin positions? Or do you think that it, it doesn't really work that way? Like that's not going to lead people into taking directional positions. I think it's going to depend a lot on the fund, right? Like if it's like a pure quant shop, like they're probably not going to just be like, like there's, look, there's funds that just do this like our stuff that don't even like, just because they do it in like equities doesn't mean that they're suddenly going to like fall in love with Bitcoin. They might, like, I think some of them will like hold some of the balance sheet as a function of that. But like it, in the TradFi world, like tend to p find people like stay pretty much in their lane. So they'll like continue to like operate that. There's a chance though that people spin out of those places and run other shops that like pick that up. Like that's possible. What's the global value of, of all bonds? What is that? Like 119 trillion uh, on Wikipedia. So I, th so I think over you know, the next five years, next 10 years, like betting on a couple percent of that 119 trillion 
deciding that that it you know it's going to head towards bitcoin like over the course of this decade uh, you know just because that is such a tremendous size that if it, like i said you just get a couple percent off of that and that's that's a serious number and and i think alongside that uh but this also plays out in different ways than just a bond portfolio allocation reallocation. It's just like this concept of Bitcoin is pristine collateral. That that seems to me to be the long term bullish thesis that makes the most sense to me uh, for Bitcoin. And and if that's true, then Bitcoin is bec- is going to become uh, more institutionalized than like you're talking about. You're trying to chip away at the Treasury market. That's your TAM. And and you look at treasuries, you know, it's like the U.S. dollars, the world reserve currency. But but the global financial system is based on on a foundational layer of, of treasuries. Treasuries set the interest rate for every everything else on the planet. And it is the uh, incredibly liquid, fungible collateral. And because the global financial system is based on debt, the collateral layer is is massive and, and really important. And And it's not like at the end of the 2020s, I think that. Bitcoin is going to be the foundation. But if, if you just see it just chipping away and making progress to get set up to be like the first five years of this decade, you want to get the pipes set up for it to start being treated like pristine collateral. And then as the world just looks at the current pristine collateral or the current collateral foundation of financial system, U.S. Treasury going to go, that's an instrument that looks challenged over the next like whatever period of time you want to think about it kind of fun, structurally fundamentally challenged. And then you look around and you go, what else can we possibly use? And, you know, I think Bitcoin makes a ton of, a ton of sense from, from that perspective. So that's the number one, like real broad thing that I'm looking out for, you know, in terms of the evolution of Bitcoin. Travis, what are your thoughts on just the kind of overarching current macro environment? Um, and as well, do you mm-hmm. think the, you know, Fed will continue to raise rates? over the next year or so and how high do you think they can raise rates? I know it's very speculative, but just kind of what's your overall thoughts on the whole situation? I mean, how, how much time we got here? <laughs> <laughs> as much right, as you want to go. Let's, let's, uh, so I think you priced in, we'll try and do the one minute here. Uh, I think you've priced in about as much uh, uh, hawkishness as you can, um, at least into the Fed funds, futures market, into the most of it is into the shape of the treasury yield curve, uh, that can go a little flatter, but not a whole lot flatter. And the euro dollar market is uh, futures market is is super inverted. And so the, all, all of those, you know, instruments are telling you uh, that the Fed, you know, can only deliver what's already priced in or more dovish than that, basically, like you're all the way on this side of the goalpost. And so then uh it's apparent that, that, that the Fed's real serious. They're, they're more serious about controlling inflation than they are about uh, growth. They're prioritizing inflation control over growth. And it remains to be seen how much tightening they actually have to do uh, in order to control inflation or if, you know, through de-bottlenecking and just base effects and that sort of thing, uh, that inflation will, will start to cool off, you know, with only a few hikes this year. So I think that's those are basically your bogeys, and uh, yeah. That was that was a great like little one minute synopsis. <laughs> I thought you were gonna go off on a little tangent for like five ten minutes there. Uh, Dad, do you have any thoughts? 
I don't have anything better to say. I look. I I, I think in general, um, I find that when everybody in the crypto universe is like talking about macro, that everybody in the world's probably talking about it. Like they're just like the last ones to that party to start like freaking out. Um, like I get it. Like it follows like equities to a degree. So like you get that beta in it. But like when when I have random people in the industry like telling me about like emergency rate hike meetings, like that, that probably means like we're like pretty priced in on like the panic and mania on that side. So like, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know anything about macro. I'm just gonna throw this out there, like of where it's going. And like, if I did, I wouldn't trade crypto more likely than not. So I, I, I tend to just like lean on with like smarter people than me that work in the industry and like sort of what they think. But when, when the, the horde of retail sort of crypto traders are all freaking out about it, like that, that feels okay to me to like stop worrying about it as much. Yeah. The, the, w- one more thing I'll add is that, and I wrote about this in my last, my last monthly, if, a lot of times in these situations, I, tr- I try and drill down and think about what incentive, what, what incentive structures are different organizations operating within? Like what, what, how is the Fed incentivized to act? What can they do? What have they done historically? What are they incentivized to do? And then you take, you try and get as much as you can from that and you go, okay, what do I think maybe they're going to do? Dude, they are not incentivized to hike six or seven times in this calendar year. That just, that it does not add up. It, 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 none, none of that adds up. And they haven't acted like that really before. They're, it, it's not aligned with how their incentives go. And, and so, I mean, I think, you know, and I think if, if that's true, that means that they end up delivering something on the more dovish side relative to what's priced into Fed funds, futures and euro dollars in the Treasury market. And that means that risk is going to have, uh, you know, some really tradable opportunities this year. So let's talk correlation. So this is something, you know, you got everybody on crypto Twitter posting like the five minute chart every time, you know, Bitcoin doesn't go tick for tick. The S&P or the NASDAQ, everyone's got the decoupling meme with the, the chubby guy with the, you know, the like 1% move up in price. And I love that guy. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a it's an awesome meme. Uh, what do you guys think both in kind of like the, the immediate term as well as in the longer term? Um, it seems like whenever, almost like a pendulum swing, like when everyone's talking a lot about, you know, a tight correlation, that's probably like when we're going to see a regime change back to that correlation drawing down. And then when no one's talking about it, then that seems like when it kind of creeps back up, just like that kind of natural like psychology there of when people are paying attention to something in that extremes, people think it's going to continue forever. So we've been in a strong correlation over the last call it like two months. And I just look at something like the correlation coefficient on trading view. And it seems like that's decreased a bit over the last week. So kind of two-part question, what do you think of that in the like immediate term? And then as well, over time, you know, what do you think will have to kind of take place for that correlation to break down if you think it will? I don't think long-term it will break down. Like, I, I think like as the asset class gets bigger and it, like it starts to like, look, it can't exist in a vacuum at a trillion dollars. Like it just like, it affects other things too much and it is affected by other things too much. And like, that will just be the natural progression like of it as it gets bigger. Um, this is like specifically for Bitcoin um, and like ETH's getting there too, right? Like, so like the larger assets will just start to like trade risk on risk off with the larger sort of other macro markets, um, just like as time goes on and they become larger. So I think, I think that's like the long-term trend on these things. Um, I, I think you will see probably decouplings of like smaller assets from like Bitcoin and ETH as they start to like mirror the larger assets. Like that's like the, the sort of decoupling that I would would, would expect. 
um, to happen. But like, look, like there's regimes where the most interesting thing to risk is happening outside of crypto, such that like what's happening over like, look, those last two, three months, there's been some like very large moves and some like big things in like tech in particular, but like other assets that are of like much larger caliber. And like, if they're moving around a lot, like that matters more to Bitcoin than like whatever random flows are like changing out. So like, I think that's like why you get these regimes is where suddenly like the thing that matters the most just like actually has nothing to do with crypto. It's like the other factors that affect the lives of the people that trade crypto um, or like their asset base or like whatever their like leverage and sort of life looks like. So I think that's like what, like I mean, look, when there, there's shocks, like the correlations go to one for everything. So like that's, it's just sort of a the before getting to panic, like there's like some area that it starts to like correlate more. Com completely agree with that. Yeah, there's all there's there's the concept of tourist money, right? And crypto had a lot of tourism money in it over the last year, and you know for various different reasons, like like Dan was talking about, a lot of that tourist money left. Yeah, uh, volatility events like fundamentally make correlations go up, and so much global, you know, so much of the of the capital that are in global financial markets are governed by or somehow sort of affected by value at risk models, broadly speaking, um, because leverage is such an, 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 you know, an intimate part of, of all of our financial markets. And when so much capital is controlled by, by VAR broadly based models, then when you have these volatility events, then gross exposure just has to come down. And you, and I think you, you, you see that definitely in crypto. And then I think the, the other thing I'll say is, if Bitcoin ends up going down that path over the course of this decade that I was just talking about, then like not only is it going to become more, quote unquote, correlated to traditional asset classes, it's going to become people will start to view it as one of, if not the truest indicator of some types of risk or or liquidity in general. Like people be like, no, I mean, Bitcoin's the thing that matters. You know, it's like that's that 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 matters as much as the two's tens you know, rather than Bitcoin is getting dragged around by the two tens or something like that. So that's a longer term deal. But I think the setup's there for, for that to happen. Hmm. That's, that's really interesting. At what size do you think Bitcoin kind of becomes like an existential threat to the like overall legacy system? Is it like 10 trillion, 15 trillion? Like where, when do you think that kind of discussion starts to kind of occur? I don't think of it. I don't think of it like a threat type of deal that much anymore. I, I mean, I think the status quo is trying to figure out how to now deal with this thing because uh, I don't think they can really make it go away now. Um, yeah, I agree with Travis. Go ahead, I, was gonna say, I, think, I, I think it's like kind of at the point where people are like like dealing with it and like it's clearly like it's a thing and it's here and it's not just like going to disappear. So like if it doubles, like I don't think that like makes it. I I think people like don't think of it as a threat, really here at least, like domestically. Like I'm sure there's regimes around the world that are gonna like think that, but like in aggregate, like large developed nations, I think are gonna be like okay with it, like sitting there. What have you guys thought about some of these hearings? Do you think they've been productive? Have you been kind of like pleasantly surprised by kind of the the way that like politicians have been speaking about crypto? So. Dan and I, I mean, this is, these are topics that come up in discussion a lot, like what people are collectively paying a lot of attention to this stuff. In my opinion, I think you've had a really uh, definitive shift that's just long-term, very bullish crypto broadly in the last, I'd call it like 12 to 18 months. 
I could just, and, and that, 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 that shift is part of what informs my view of like what we were just talking about, about like crossing the Rubicon in terms of this thing ever going away. Um, the, I mean, 12, 18 months ago, or you think back to like right after Libra got announced, I mean, people were really thinking like, dude, the government may just shut this whole stablecoin thing down. Like they just might shut the whole thing down. And now it's like, you got Jay Powell, it's like, oh, stable coins, if regulated, can be a very helpful part of the financial system and shit like that. And all these senators and like, you know, I think we've covered a tremendous amount of ground. You still got to be careful, right? I mean, it's still the swamp. Uh, they still operate, you know, <laughs> I'm not like a huge fan of politicians, you know, so so they, they're beholden to whatever special interest groups they're beholden to. So you can watch them trying to like navigate and do the swamp thing to make sure that, you know, the people that get paid by the banks are making sure the banks are going to get theirs out of this and the regulated blah, blah, this sort of thing. Uh, but my the overall totality of that makes me think that this asset class is going to go from two trillion to 10 trillion over the next like however many years. And then it's probably going to keep going. Yeah, um, on the hearing stuff, I, I look, I there's a couple things that I'm disappointed with on the regulatory side. Um, like the biggest one is that it's become like a partisan issue. Like, I, I don't understand why that's happened, but it like very much is, I think there's a chance to sort of fix this. Um, and hopefully you're seeing some like people specifically in the democratic party, like somewhat coming to bat for the industry um, and hopefully can like win over. I, I think it's going to be like a telling thing, how sort of this cycle's midterms go. And then actually the, the cycle after that, where there's like a bunch of senatorial candidates up um, to see if crypto becomes an issue at all, it may be still too small, but it's possible that like it's enough of an issue to a younger demographic that's like voting now that like it starts to become somewhat hostile to be anti it. And I, and I think that's like the ultimate thing we sort of need. Like there's just a reality of like, I don't know what the average age of a sort of congressional rep is right now, but it's high. Um, so like, it, <laughs> it's, it, a big, it's, it's a big number. <laughs> it's a big number. Yeah. And like, so that sort of, I find it hard that somebody that's directing policy on crypto, like was 45 or 50 years old when they first used email. I just like, I, I think that's like a disconnect that like somewhat you have to like work through. Um, it's not to say that those people can't do their jobs, but like, I do think this is a demographic issue and definitely a voting block issue. Like that will slowly like work itself out of time. I, I don't think they're going to kill it. I think it'll be fine. Like, I think we're going to make it out the other side of it. It could just be annoying for a while, um, which it has. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of uh, Brad Sherman and his whole hamster coin thing. I don't think that was very productive at all. Um, another, another kind of side question on this, like when we look at other countries, Obviously, Hold on, like, let me just say real fast. Go ahead, go ahead. Let me just yeah. say real fast on, on that. I, I thought he looked so clownish in that that it was bullish crypto. I thought that was my take. Yeah, I don't think anyone took him seriously at all. Like it was almost like it's like the old guy in the corner just like saying a bunch of gibberish, and everyone's like, "All right, let's go back to the adult conversation." And then people were just yeah, asking. Yeah, you look like productive. a clown, dude. You look like a clown. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So on El Salvador, obviously that was. Uh, those pretty substantial news like adoption wise um do you guys think we'll see other countries follow el salvador uh, to me it almost feels like the second country would almost be more substantial than the first because you know you could have one you know a one-off you know situation where you know some guy's doing something nutty right but like as you start to see more people follow them you know then the the trend seems like it's starting to be more solidified you take it more seriously so do you agree with that? Do you think like the second third nations that would theoretically follow them really starts to solidify that trend and then do we think maybe over the next two, three years, you'll start, start to see more countries specifically like 
Latin American uh, that kind of like follow El Salvador's route. I could definitely see a world where you have a couple of the South American countries take that. Let's put it this way. Like, how often did you talk about El Salvador before they did this thing? I ever, like, probably not. So if it does anything to like increase domestic industry at all beyond like crypto, right? Like if suddenly you have some cohort of people working on something different that's like net accretive and like you see foreign investment, like look at it, like that, that matters a lot, specifically like these countries in South America um, who probably are begging for any sort of like diversification of like their sort of economies that they can get in there. So if tech is something they can like pull in, they'll love it. So if it goes well, which I think it, I think it will, I think like there's enough, there's enough like force behind it to get it there. Um, I think you could definitely see a couple other South American countries like pick it on. I, I don't think it matters as much for like larger developed nations though. I, I don't think they like see like success in El Salvador and they're like, sick, I got to do this. I, I just, I don't think that is a corollary at all. But if you're like a like country in the area, like, yeah, you might as, you might as well get on that bandwagon. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Getting a few more countries um, that are maybe in a, a similar situation as El Salvador was, I think would be a big deal. Um, I, I don't know how to handicap the likelihood that that happens or over what time frame. I guess one way, like the bullish way to, to say it is you'd be like, oh, well, it's an eventuality. Like eventually it just is, is going to happen. Um, and, and maybe that's, that's the right way to think about it. I, I, I think definitely agree with Dan, the larger, because I think you want to look at what's the overall adoption rate of Bitcoin and, and you can have the adoption rate of Bitcoin go up a lot uh, without uh, these like legal, big legal tender. Oh, we're going to like try and reset the economy to have Bitcoin be the foundation of it type of deal where El Salvador is doing that. There's just not all that many countries that I think would really move the needle that would be on the list of potential countries to actually do that. But if you just get a lot more, Bitcoin adoption, uh, especially in, in the way that is happening in El Salvador, where you're not taking uh, kind of price risk. I've, I've long been uh, for like years now, like Bitcoin as a method of exchange is just we need a way better interim step for Bitcoin before we get to that. Uh, and to me, it has always been the concept of collateral where you borrow fiat stable coins against your your bitcoin position you know at some reasonable loan to value some reasonable interest rate as long as you, you do it in a smart contract you do it over the lightning network as long as you pay that back um uh and pay the interest back and you get to keep all your bitcoin and, and that can work at a at a sovereign level or a global financial system level but i think that also works at a at a peer level uh and and i'm i'm, I'm curious to watch how that kind of plays out o o over the coming years um but and, and and or just doing the way that that that, that lightning uh and, and jack maller's stri strike is doing it where you're like using the bitcoin rails but then immediately you know sort of like transferring into fx on the back side of it so that there's not price risk that also sounds like a, a an okay uh way to go about it as well too if you're like fund if you're like an austrian economy you know, Austrian economics person, and you're like fundamentally against debt, then you would like to want to do that way more than the like collateral way. And, you know, so it kind of depends on how you come at this, this sort of deal. What are some of the catalysts that you guys think are potentially, you know, 
likely more likely than others to occur over the next maybe year or so. I think obviously like the, you know, the biggest catalysts are the ones that you're not expecting. Um, just like the biggest risks are the ones that you aren't keeping in mind. But um, are there certain things like maybe it is another nation adopting Bitcoin as legal currency? Uh, maybe it's a spot Bitcoin ETF approval. Maybe it's even, you know, the, the El Salvador bond getting oversubscribed to like, what are some of these things that you think maybe people are, are overlooking uh, over the next year or two? I mean, the ETF would be a massive upside surprise. I'm just like, I, I have handicapped it so low that that's why I, I think that would be the biggest um, sort of material like win on the other side. Yeah, I don't know, like the, the El Salvador bonding like massively oversubscribed would be like a big one. Like then you definitely are going to get follow on probably by like the, the neighboring sort of areas. I, I do think though, like at the end of the day, it's just like, it's a slow and steady sort of like win, right? Like, it's just like, you get into more people's hands. They like, like the concept and like, it just, it slowly sort of gets out there. And like, that's like the, the grind that like continues to go. I, I, if you wanted like one big massive catalyst that was like one of the market, it's probably, again, it's like you said, like it's either another nation or it's like another like big large purchase by like a sovereign or like a corporate um, or like the ETF. But like, those are really hard to like, plan for or even like think what like would cause them yeah I don't, I don't know very many people that think that the a spot etf is going to get approved this year but i will definitely have taken note of of um politicians on both sides of the aisle uh taking shots at gensler publicly that's happening on both sides of the aisle um basically like telling him that he's he's a clown and uh, I mean, that's really noteworthy. And maybe he ends up feeling some amount of pressure. But, but I, the, the, the skeptic in me makes me feel like uh, Wall Street like needs to get their ducks in a row uh, before and whatever that may mean. And I don't know, maybe that means the price going lower so they can buy a lot more before they, they announce a spot Bitcoin ETF. Or maybe that's just like BlackRock getting in position to have the ETF instead of it going to like a crypto native company or I, you know, I don't know what they're doing, but uh, so the timing on that, I don't know, but I just think it, it is interesting. Uh, <laughs> Gensler's fell out of favor. You know, it's like both sides of the aisle. I think Dan made a really interesting point, basically saying like, you know, El Salvador could even just be doing this to get attention and draw in, you know, more capital into their borders. You know, I, th I think something Bitcoin, you know, investors need to think about in general is like not just like hopping on the bandwagon of supporting every single person who says that they support Bitcoin, because it seems like some politicians are perhaps just taking this stance just to gain like popularity or attention and some of these kinds of things. But that's a good thing, though. It's a good thing that like there's such a large demographic block that like, look, I don't know a lot about like Latin American sort of politicians, but like, I would bet you if you like dug a lot into like Bukele's like stuff, like you probably don't agree with him on a lot of things would be like my guess, even for the regular person, but nobody cares because like he's pro crypto, he's a pipe, one of our guys, right? And like, that's like kind of how like the whole demographic like moves. And I think that matters because you get the opposite, right? Where like, if you're antagonistic to it, you're just gonna like, it doesn't matter what else you say, you're going to cut off a huge chunk of the voting block potentially like as time goes on. So like, I think, I think that matters a lot that people are so passionate about it on so the political side for here. So I think there's, there's something good about that beyond just like, you're right though. People should like really look beyond it because like that causes you to probably like, you, you should be a little more holistic of a person more than just like your crypto thoughts. But like that, like there's, there's a balance there, which I think can also be like good on the political side. 
So you do see crypto as like a massive, like, you know, single issue voter type of type of issue though. I don't know if it's massive yet, but it's growing and it's like, it's big enough that like, I think politicians are talking about it for sure, right? The, the, the way a mutual friend of, of, of Dan and I talks about this is it's like, it could be like a free, because uh, there's just some crypto people that are like, can be single voter issues, which is, that's to his point. That's what Dan just said, right? But that's applicable when you think about US political races as well too. And you could be in a situation where you're you're a politician with no stance on crypto and you can go, I can come out as a crypto bull and I'm just going to get an extra, it's some percent. You're going to get, depending on, on, on what jurisdiction you're in, right? Depends on obviously what race you're running in, but like you could just pick up a few percent. And if it's a really close race, then, um, you know, it could make the difference for you. You're, you might view it as that. And that matters. Last question before we kind of get to wrapping up the um, non-Bitcoin related question. What sectors throughout the entire crypto market do you guys think will kind of thrive over the next, um, you know, six to 12 months? And do you think there's any that are kind of being overlooked by the market right now? Dan, Dan you're the one, I mean, you're massively more active in this than we are. It, it like it, inside crypto or like in like other markets? Sorry, I want to make sure I understand the question. Uh, just basically in, in crypto. Oh, like where do I think like there's well, like there's still a bull market in private financing, right? Like, like if you're if you're raising an early stage round, like you're still oversubscribed. So like that that won't probably slow down because there's too much money still trying to allocate. So like it, it's a really really good time if you're like a smart engineer who wants to build something to go raise money. Like I if you are like on the fence and you're like looking at prices and you're like ah like things are going down like I don't know and like there's no hesitation to like finance you. So like that, that will continue. So like, I, I think you're going to see like a continuation of like private markets remaining frothy and like public markets, like whipping around depending on like what other risk assets are doing. So I don't know. I think that is where the action is right now. Sweet. And let's go ahead and wrap up. So first of all, I just want to say thank you guys so much for coming on the show and being really generous with your time. Uh, I just want to give you the floor to maybe give some final thoughts to the audience as well as plug yourselves in. Uh, no, I appreciate it. It was a good conversation. We'll have to do it again soon. Uh, pretty active on, on Twitter, Travis underscore Kling. And uh, if you want to find out stuff about the fund, it's ikigai.fund, I-K-I-G-A-I.fund. Cool. Yeah. Closing thoughts. I don't know. Just, I think it'll be all right. I think everybody needs to like calm down in aggregate. I think um, like, like there's, there's volatility and stuff and like there's unknowns, but like the long-term trend of all this stuff and like the flow of capital is still right. So like, I think it's going to be fine. Um, just like, don't get yourself blown up on leverage in the short term and you'll be, you'll be here to like live another day. Awesome. I think that's a yeah, great uh, place to yeah, wrap yeah, it up. Yeah, com com completely agree with that. If the, if the Fed actually drives this train straight off a cliff, like the market is fearing they're going to do, you have to understand that that is going to set up for generational buying opportunities in crypto, like for, for your kids' kids. So. Well, that's an even better place to wrap it up. <laughs> Thanks so much, guys, for the time. You guys take it easy. All right. Take care. I enjoyed it.